0: Cheers, all you wonderful blokes, live from London. This is The Real Freedom Podcast with your host, Ryan Weimer. I'm gonna be doing solo edition today. If you have never done a development deal, a new build, new construction, this episode is for you. I'm gonna go through the top 10 things that you need to know before taking on a development deal or if you're underwriting a development deal or looking at doing any kind of new construction that's over one unit. That's not just one single family home. It's either a multifamily or townhomes or you have some kind of land development play. I apologize in advance if some of this stuff goes over your head. In development and I want to simplify this to a beginner level as much as possible okay the number one thing you need to know before you underwrite a development deal is the risk reward there's massive upside and massive downside and timing is everything so if you've never done a development deal before I would highly encourage you to partner up on your first deal because this isn't like wholesaling where you get a property under contract and then you get money back in your account from that assignment fee in 30 to 90 days, or even a flip, which could be 30, 60 days, or it could be an entire year depending on the scope of that flip. This is the big leagues. This stuff can take a year to four or five years, depending on the city and area that you're in. Obviously, if you're in a blue state, a liberal leaning state has a lot of red tape, a lot of environmental checkpoints. Building is going to be a lot harder and a lot more expensive and a lot riskier. So on that risk reward scale, where you build is going to have unfortunately a lot to do with whether you're successful or not. Are they pro housing? Do they want to address the nationwide issue of affordable housing, which is really just a supply issue that we don't have enough of it and they don't Due to zoning requirements, not in my backyard, you know, the NIMBY neighbors, not in my backyard type of stuff that you encounter in neighborhood meetings. And I can go on a whole rant about my experiences there. But where you build matters. If you're in a conservative state that's pro-building or pro-housing, then yeah, you're going to be a lot more successful than if you're build- trying to build in a blue state. It's not impossible. It's just you're really facing an uphill battle if you're trying to go outside of a red state. That's That's number one. And that's on the risk reward spectrum too right you have to take that into consideration number two there is a lot of gray area when it comes to development what do i mean by that well when we say a property is entitled and maybe maybe i should go a step back when you buy a piece of land it may or may not have water it may or may not have power it may or may not have sewer it may need a road. It might be rural. or it might be an access road or something that's needed. All of these are variables that add a considerable amount of cost, okay? Before you even start looking at the actual build itself, you have to look at the infrastructure available. Then in addition to that, you have to look at what are called entitlements. Entitlements is just a fancy word for how far along are you in the permitting process? What do you have approved or not approved? Every city and county is different. So when somebody is looking to sell a piece of land, it could be just the land and nothing else, or it could be the land plus maybe You have design review approval for townhomes, or maybe you have approval from planning and zoning to build a multifamily structure. Those approvals, those documents and drawings add value to the property because they take a lot of time, a lot of effort. The review process to actually get something from the time you buy a piece of land, depending on your city or county, to when you actually get a build permit in hand so you can start construction can be anywhere from three months on the lowest side that I've ever heard to multiple years. And we're gonna talk about that on the 43 unit. I'm sure you can guess what end of the spectrum that was. but. When somebody is looking to sell a piece of land, it could be not entitled at all, or it could be fully entitled, or it could be partially entitled. And something that really shocked me when I was starting out is I noticed in listings, right, there'd be the listing of of the property and listing of the piece of land. And brokers would say this is an entitled piece of property. Well, I didn't know that there was a difference between fully entitled which means all I need to do is literally show up at the courthouse and pay for my build permits. I can put a shovel in the ground tomorrow and start construction. And partially entitled, which is like, well, they're... A certain way through the process, maybe they've had a couple meetings with the city and some things are signed off and some boxes are checked, but others are outstanding. Or it could mean they just had one neighborhood meeting and one meeting with the city and the city said, well, here's some different ideas of things that you can do and can't do and everything in between. So this is a massive spectrum. If you can imagine if brokers are advertising stuff that is saying fully entitled or entitled, it really doesn't mean jack shit. Like it can mean literally everything. And so There's a large amount of due diligence required if you're buying somebody else's property and they have something like entitled. If they're not approved for build permits, that's like the final stamp, right? It's like you're buying a complete package. Once they're approved for build permits, you know everything is in line and in order as it should be. If it's not approved for build permits, then you have no idea at what step or stage in the process they are. And because so many people take on development deals and don't really know what they're doing, they could falsely advertise to you how far they are along in the process just out of incompetence, not on purpose. So I know I'm long winded on number two, but that is so important. There is so much less risk if you buy a piece of property, if you buy a piece of land, if you're buying somebody else's parcel and somebody else's plans, drawings, approvals, there is way more risk because there's skeletons in that closet, right? There's a reason why they didn't get it fully entitled. When getting one of those deals under contract, make sure you have at least a couple months of due diligence, at least. And even then. You're going to want as much as possible, okay? because I don't mean to bash on brokers, but a lot of them just have no idea what they're doing. A lot of them have never done a development deal themselves, so they don't even know if they're listing correct or incorrect. Some of them do, which is unethical. But again, I didn't know any of this starting out. And so it's pretty amazing what you learned going through this. Number three, your architect is your right-hand man. That is the single most important person when you're doing a development deal, your architect. Your architect does all the drawings. He has subcontractors like his civil guy, his MEP guy, his landscape architect. All of these are individual people. So think of your architect as like the general contractor that manages all the individual groups that do different portions of the drawings of your project. So your architect is responsible for keeping all of them accountable to their delivery dates. Like if you're in to submit for permits and your civil engineer hasn't finished their portion of the drawing yet, well, that's going to hold up the entire thing. You're going to have to wait a couple of weeks or however long it takes for them to get that. The best way that I can describe this is your architect is like a general contractor and there's varying degrees of what contractors do or don't do. Some contractors do everything. Some contractors do the bare minimum. So it's critical that you probably get referrals from other people that are doing development deals in your area, because not only... Are they responsible for getting everything in on time and managing all the other people that are doing the drawings uh, as a part of the collective package? But they also have relationships with people at the city and can get things moved at a faster pace based on their relationships with the cities. And if you pick the wrong architect, well, all of a sudden now you're going to have some additional friction from the city because they're not going to like working with that person. But your architect is somebody that should know all the building code, should know the zoning code. Architect is responsible for every checkpoint along the way, all the way until you get build permits. That's the way it should be. Okay. Now, if you have a crappy architect, you can supplement with people that are called land planners, development liaisons. Like there's a bunch of different names for people that know the individual city and county's permitting process that can help help you shortcut some things or clear up some confusion if there's any questions. Your architect can make or break your project. So As soon as we get any kind of piece of land under contract, the architect is who we send that first email like, hey, I think this is the zoning here. Can you check on how many units could we put in here? How much spacing does there need to be? What are the setbacks, right? What kind of utilities are available near the site? How long does it take to get built permits here? Is it in a flood zone? So your architect will be the one that drafts you the initial site plan. If you have a good relationship with one, they'll probably do it for free like they do for us, they're going to be the ones that get you that initial drawing to see like, okay, I can do 12 townhomes here. I can do 50 townhomes here. I can do a hundred unit multifamily in the current zoning. So your architect is going to have a massive influence. They're going to be the ones that lead all the neighborhood meetings. They're going to be the ones that lead that stand up in front of city council and planning and zoning and design review and get your project approved or not approved. They are single-handedly the most important person on your team. Trust me, I would not go cheap here. Ask me how I know. <laughs> Number four, being in person matters. Why the hell does being in person matter? It's the year 2023. Everything's done over Zoom anyways. Why does being in person matters? Well, when you peek behind the curtain about how new construction and development actually gets approved, it's all politics. All politics. And it's all money related. And it still operates like the good old boys club. Some areas are worse than others, but being in person and actually showing up to the county clerk's desk every other day asking, where am I in line for review? What's the status update? Hey, I was here two days ago and you said it would be done already. What's happening? That really, really matters because if you can only call an email to get updates on your project, nobody's going to give a shit about you or in return your call and emails. That's just you're dealing with DMV style government employees that hate their job. Okay. So that's why being in-person matters. It shouldn't, but that's just the way it works. If you're trying to do a lot of this stuff remote and you don't have somebody working on your behalf in person, it's probably going to add 30 to 40% uh, timeline to your approval process. It's that significant. So we have leads come through our system all the time. And I hear this a lot with sellers. Well, you could level this home and build A fourplex, or you could add a duplex onto the back of this lot. The truth is, most development deals worth doing need to have a certain economies of scale. So they need to be a certain size to actually pencil out. And the reason for that is a lot of your costs for reviews, for dirt work, which we call horizontal work. That's like any dirt moving that needs to happen on the property, any utility hookups that need to happen, any water or drainage, any environmental studies or surveys that need to be done on the property, they're not gonna vary a ton. The cost with doing a 10 townhome project versus 120 townhome projects for those items is not linear. Meaning the more units you can add, those costs are gonna remain relatively the same. Even if your site is a little bit bigger, you're still gonna have those fixed costs. So for us, we have a 12 unit minimum. And honestly, after what I've been through in the last couple of years, I think we're gonna make it a 20 to 25 unit minimum on something that we would do just because your average seller, your average Joe has no idea what the numbers and process actually looks like for building a property and so yeah, putting a duplex in the backyard or leveling the current home to put a fourplex like the numbers just don't pencil out. You need to have economies of scale, you know, if you're buying 120 townhomes worth of lumber, you're going to get a pretty sweet pricing discount just on lumber alone, you could probably save 500 grand versus doing it on a 10 townhome project so economies of scale really matter and the bigger the project the more flexibility you have the more profit margin you have the more weird things and the more buffer that it gives yourself to actually make it a success all right number 6 rezones. oh boy i hear this from sellers or from broker listed properties all the time well the property across the street i mean they got a rezone to r20 so now you could do that and now Instead of 10 units, you'd get 40 units. Guys, the unfortunate truth about rezones is they're not a guarantee. And honestly, my experience has been a 30 to 40% rate, at least in Boise, Idaho, which is a red state. So I imagine your chances of getting something actually rezoned even less than that in the blue states or, or places with more red tape. You have to look at this property, not on woulda, coulda, should shouldas, not on what ifs, not on a hope and a prayer. You have to underwrite it and it has to be profitable based on what it currently is. Another mistake that I see all the time. Let's say you buy an acre property and it's 12 units per acre. Most people work under the assumption, oh, okay, I can get 12 units on there. That's wrong. That's the maximum amount of density. The city is going to chop you down and make you do six to eight units because you need green space you need parking you need guest parking you need handicap spots you need sidewalk curb and gutter all of these that take up space on your site you're not even able to get to the allowance that the city or county is giving you per the code just as a really rough rule of thumb for our area when we're looking at underwriting something like that we take a two-thirds density factor to that so for 12 units, that would mean if the zoning is 12 units per acre, then we're underwriting at eight units. And if we want to make the units really big and have more bedrooms, which means more parking, then it's going to be six. I hope that makes sense. That's a really big mistake that I see could put you in a pickle if you're counting on all of those units that will have a massive impact on the pro forma and running your numbers on that all right number seven you guys know what it's like working with contractors in development you're gonna have wild swings in pricing and wild swings in bids from contractors or builders just to give you guys an example i had a parcel quoted about two and a half years ago and then i had that same parcel quoted today. The price that I received today on that bid on that same property was 31% lower than a few years ago. 31% lower. So on a $5.5 million project, that is over a million dollars. That's insane, right? That's only for 12 townhomes. The bigger you go, the more of an impact that's going to have. And just to give you guys some context, in Boise right now, you can build things anywhere from about $120 a square foot all the way up to like $220 a square foot for like your really high end custom luxury stuff. This builder in Idaho Falls where the 43 unit was, you quoted me $583 a square foot one of the bids that I got and when you receive it and you get on a call with them, I just laughed at them. Like, what are you guys doing? This guy just bid me $135 a square foot. What am I missing here? Like if I had the land for free, I would lose $2 million building this out with your numbers. The reason for that guys is if if people don't have a reason to actually bid the project competitively, then yeah, they're going to, they're going to shoot for the moon as unethical as that sounds and is, uh, they don't give a shit. So, There's plenty of people that are used to West Coast pricing, and then they look at your Boises, your Salt Lakes, your Denvers as a bargain. You're probably going to need anywhere from five to eight bids when you're building this stuff. It's going to be more than like a normal flip because you got your mom and pop GCs that do some kind of building. Okay. They do new builds too, not just flips. A lot of them do new builds. And then you've got like your commercial or industrial legit builders that do hundreds of townhomes, hundreds, sometimes even thousands of units a year. And so they have systems, processes, they get shit done way faster than a mom and pop GC could, but pay for it. It's worth it. Just know you're going to need to get a lot more bids than you would on a normal flip or remodel project. Number eight, this is the worst one. The city and county move at their own pace. So whatever timeline you're given when you talk to them initially, or when you talk to your architect, I would double it. I would literally double it. Now, interest rates where they're at and more builders pressing the pause button, not as many people developing new product, they're finishing up what they have, but you're not going to see a lot of people starting new projects as before. So there's going to be a slowdown there. So this might actually get a little bit better in the near term. As soon as there's any kind of correction in interest rates and everybody starts building a bunch of stuff again, this is going to be an even worse problem. There are cities and counties that I've worked in that are pretty populated, like they're not rural, they're absolutely modern suburbia, and they have like one reviewer, one plan reviewer for all the permits and all the applications. I mean, that is insane. It's no wonder that these things take forever. So whatever you think is a conservative amount of time that you're penciling for this, for your holding costs, for permits, for everything like that, double it. That's before you even get to construction. Construction is the faster part of this process in most areas that are more desirable where new development and new builds actually pencil out. All right, number nine, you might have to get legal involved to hold the city and county accountable for their dates. Yeah, this, this one sucks. I mean, it shouldn't be that way, but it is. Think of your experiences at the DMV. That's exactly the kind of people that work in the city or county that just hate their job. To be fair, in Idaho, I went to the DMV and it was like the best experience ever. They had like jolly ranchers and chocolate. And like three people asked me how my day was going and how my weekend was. And I was like, where the fuck am I? (laughs) I am not in California anymore. If you're in a different state where your DMV experience is pretty standard and everybody hates their job because it's a low paying uh, government dead end job, that is exactly what you're dealing with at the city and county that, quite frankly, hold hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in potential profit or loss in their hands by how fast they approve or deny your plans. All right. And number 10, this is really, really important. You're going to need a lot of cash in the bank for reserves. And the timing of when you actually go to a lender to fund your construction itself is going to be pretty critical. So just to Keep that simple. When you buy a piece of land, you can fund the construction at that time you buy the piece of land, which is what I did a few times, not really knowing that you can buy the piece of land, albeit not on great terms necessarily, but then you can wait until you get your permits to fund the bigger part of the construction loan so your holding costs are a lot less, if that makes sense. Or you can just fund the whole thing at once, which I've done a couple times and gotten burned because the city and county took two or three times sloth, So my holding costs were way higher. I was expecting something to take 12 months, and it and it took like double that. The amount of cash in the bank you're going to want to have for... This kind of stuff from a capital point of view if you have the money buying the property and then waiting to fund the vertical part of the construction like where you're at, putting lumber in the air and you're it's actually looking like a house is the best way to do it if you have money to actually start on the utilities and pour foundations on the horizontal piece before you get a construction loan it's going to save you a lot of money the only problem with that is that you know you're talking hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars which Most real estate investors do not just have lying around, they want their money working for them, not sitting in a bank earning not a ton of interest, although now a little bit better. So those are the 10 reasons. Hopefully it adds some value to prevent you from making the same mistakes that I made. So For everybody that leaves a five-star review and subscribes by the end of January, you're gonna be entered in to receive a free $1,000. That's right, $1,000. If you just take the 30 seconds to write a five-star review and subscribe, you'll be automatically entered.